You're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 27, brought to you by actionfigureblues.com. I'm Ben, and with me tonight are... Scott. And John. We're three guys who collect action figures, statues, and other items from the worlds of comics and pop culture, and we like them so much, we made this podcast just to talk about them. This episode, we have a special feature discussion on Mego's World's Greatest Superheroes line with our special guest, Brian, a.k.a. Palatoy of the Mego Museum. Scotty, how are you all doing this week? Very well, thank you. Yeah, great. Thanks, John. So, Ben, how are you this week? Oh, I'm good. Thanks, John. I had a bit of a, a mixed week this week. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I had a, uh, a bit of a vehicular um, misalignment when a car behind <laughs> me decided to accelerate when the traffic light went green. However, I hadn't actually moved yet. Oh, so no. he re- yeah, ran right into the back of my car, so... I uh, went to pick up my car yesterday and it's all nice and shiny and looks good and everybody was really you know, very good and I brought it home and thought oh, I might just have a bit of a look to see what they've done and I've got a uh, a utility so it's got the, the tray at the back with the, the hinged lid etc and I lifted the lid up and there was this gaping hole in the back of my car about two and a half inches or about sort of seven centimetres long where they clearly just hadn't finished. And I, uh. I, rang, the wo- <laughs> I rang the woman up and I, I said, um, I don't think you've actually finished because there's this gaping hole that clearly hasn't been done. And she said, oh, no, 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 that must have been there before. Uh, I said, yeah, uh. yeah. I, I think I might have noticed that once or twice in the past. So I sent her a, a photo and uh, she called me back. Oh, I'm so sorry! You know, I can't believe it. And I've just, <laughs> I've just been yelling at the guy who was supposed to do that. So after being without my car for ten days, I now have to take it back in next week. So, but anyway, on the on the flip side, Mrs. Shake is away at the moment, and, and when she's away for uh, any sort of nominal amount of time, I do one of two things: I either live on cereal the whole time, or I actually. Yeah, <laughs> Or I get motivated and, and actually cook all the stuff that um, Mrs. Shake doesn't like. And uh, it was the latter this week. So I made this huge batch of chili con carne. And it was awesome. So, yeah, that's my week. Very good. Yeah, awesome. So, Scott, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, my um, eldest daughter had a bit of a misalignment with a horse this week, um, which was very exciting. We Both of our kids ride, which is great, but... Um, you know, occasionally it doesn't end well, so she came, <laughs> came off and got stepped on, which was rather spectacular. So that was, ow. A, a, yeah, ow. So, but she she has got the most amazing bruise. <laughs> you know, that's that's about the worst of it. So that was um that was exciting. And the other exciting thing that we did this week was um and uh, exciting in inverted commas um was to go and do the selections for our house that we're building. 
this is all the interior stuff I was talking about a couple weeks ago. So it was a full day um, of, you know, your garage door, your guttering, your everything. Um, but the thing that was actually good about it was that the consultant that we had was absolutely fantastic. And so she made it a lot easier by offering her opinion when we wanted it and um, kind of guiding us in the right direction. So it was good. It was good to actually just, you know, it's nice to get to spend some time together without the kids, even when you're doing something like that. So, <laughs> but yeah, so good, good week, but very glad to see the weekend come. Pretty good. And what about you, Joe? Um, I actually had to run to our local courthouse to get a copy of our marriage certificate because our insurance company at work said, you got to prove that you're married to us. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Okay. So I left, left work dash for the the courthouse in the County I live in. And and it was exciting. I got there and the lady's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Our computer's down. No. Oh Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what happened? Well, they they said, well, maybe we can find it on CD. Ooh. Well, go. <laughs> so they did. They found it on CD. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's a relief. Yeah. That's, so. that's funny. We, we actually had to scrape up our marriage certificate this week just because we're doing our loan for all this building stuff. And um, we had to do birth certificates, but then find the marriage certificate uh, to show that my wife's, you know, change of name. And we got married in the U.S., and our marriage certificate is a lot more um, ornate than a Australian yeah. marriage certificate, so they kind of looked at it a bit like, "What is this?" <laughs> like, we got married in America. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, what's very interesting in Australia is when you get married and you you sign that certificate at the ceremony, and it, it looks all flash, and and you have your witnesses sign it and all that sort of thing, and you bring it home. Uh, and that's not actually a marriage certificate. It's not actually a legal document. So a lot of people get caught out because they go and apply for uh, a passport or something like that and they need a copy of their marriage certificate and they rock up with this document they, they got at the wedding and the people say, I'm sorry, that's not a valid document. You need to go to births, deaths and marriages and get an actual copy of your birth, of your marriage certificate. Oh. That's a, yeah, it's a very, very unusual practice. Yeah, I, I don't know if that... A tradition exists in like here in Australia in the wedding. One of the things that's usually part of the ceremony is the signing of the certificate, and everyone signs. But I don't know. Is that part of an American wedding ceremony? Um, it normally happens after. Yeah. Like when I got married the first time, it was after. Yeah. But the when I current Mrs. Nerd, who's the love of my life, um, we got married at the courthouse. So it was me, her, and the Justice of the Peace, and awesome. It, it, yeah, it was real in shorts, and um, we actually had matching <laughs> Disney baseball shirts on. Oh, awesome. Uh, when we got married, so. <laughs> oh, now, now, there's a photo for the Enhanced Podcast. But, uh, I don't know. Well, we've had Adam in his pajamas, so, you know. True, suppose, you know, true. Anything's, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a bit of a different show this week. We want to give as much time as possible to our guests, so we won't have a Toy of the Week, but we are going to work our way through the rest of our regular segments before our feature discussion with our special guest, Brian, from the Mego Museum, which is going to be great fun. So to kick it all off, let's get things started with some articulated news. The Incredible Hulk meets Spider-Man. Each figure a foot tall and fully poseable. All you need is a piece of string, and here comes Spider-Man. 
This is a job for the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with a face that's mean. Lots of muscle and skin that's green. Superhero Hulk. Good job, handsome. The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man from the Superhero Collection. Each sold separately by Mego. Before we get to our main features, we start each episode with a bit of news. Articulated News is where we discuss the latest events and announcements in the toys and collectible world. We're not a comprehensive toy news service, but these are just stories that relate to things we're interested in and have caught our eye during the week. Well, I've got our first piece of news this week, and that is uh, what caught my eye was these new uh, Paranorman minifigures from Huckleberry. Now, normally it's not the sort of thing that would really sort of catch my eye, but uh, I just happened to see the trailer for Paranorman about uh, two days before I saw this piece of news. And I don't know if you guys have actually, I mean, I know the movie's out in the US, but uh, have you seen the movie or the trailer? The commercials are playing pretty heavy over here. It, it looks good. Um, I've heard some mixed things online about it that it's not really a kids' movie. So, yeah, I have, oh, okay. I've seen the trailer for it, and I did um, wonder the same thing. It looked a little bit scary. I thought, I don't know if my kids are old enough to watch this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, when I saw the trailer, I thought it was hysterical. The uh, mm-hmm. the trailer that I saw, the last bit that has the guy using the vending machine, and he's um, he sees the the ghosts, and he freaks out, and he starts to run away just as his um, his snack sort of falls to the bottom of the vending machine, and he's yelling, and then he comes back to try and get his snack, and I, I just thought that was brilliant, and uh, I'm very keen to see it. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I was actually aware of these figures. Apparently, they debuted at San Diego Comic Con uh, this year. And uh, this is sort of the follow-up, and now we get to see all eight of the figures in the series. And uh, I actually haven't heard of Huckleberry. Um, that's, no. that's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that probably the, the biggest difficulty with these will be actually getting a hold of them. I don't know whether it's the sort of thing that will just, you know, be at uh, the local Toys R Us or Walmart. But uh, it seems to be a, a pretty good character selection. Of the eight figures, we get two Normans, but then we also get... Um, six other characters including four of the the sort of zombie ghoul ghost type dudes so but um yeah look oh, i'm gonna keep an eye out for these i thought um norman's sidekick the little fat guy with the uh, hockey mask was kind of cool so I'll, I'll keep an eye out for those ones <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that's no yeah. comment on the company that you normally keep ben I... well that's exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I also, um, we finally sort of got the the uh, sort of solicitation, I guess, or the, the final news that we're getting uh, series three of the Terminator figures from NECA. These are the seven inch series, and while um, two of them are a bit so so, that is the uh, the T one thousand, who's all kind of frosty, like he's just kind of um, he's just about to sort of shatter. Um, with the liquid nitrogen, and the other one is the uh, is the Arnie T eight hundred after he's had his run in with um, Kyle Reese and the, the the truck in the original Terminator film. But probably the big news for this particular wave is the fact that we finally get Kyle Reese, the uh, the hero from the original Terminator film, and he's been a long time coming. And uh, I'm kind of in two minds about this. Um, He's kind of accurate to how he how we saw him in the original film, but the, the figure's been coming for so long. I'm trying to understand whether it was just a rights thing, whether perhaps, I don't know, whether Michael Biehn, who uh, played Kyle Reese, had some sort of say in whether he wanted to be immortalised as an action figure because it, it's certainly taken a while. And then uh, on the flip side of that, the figure doesn't bear a particular particularly good likeness i don't know whether he's just one of those actors who's hard 
to sort of sculpt or but I don't know the figures it's it's just not working for me and and the biggest problem with that is that um these are the prototypes and generally speaking the prototypes are that little bit sharper than what you finally see on the shelf so uh. if we lose just that little bit more in the production process then um I I don't know too many people would be able to pick that that's actually Kyle Reese so yeah sorry Necker um normally you guys are pretty darn sharp with that kind of stuff but this is just a little disappointing for me. I, I do actually think that the um, liquid nitrogen T100 looks groovy. T1000, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it does, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> T100, man, that, that's, like a, that's like a toaster. Yeah. Okay, the frozen, <laughs> the frozen guy. The frozen guy yeah. looks cool. But look, I will keep an eye out for them, and uh, I'd like to check one out in hand before I, I'll reserve my judgment on, until then, so we might revisit that in the future. Cool. Well, I've got two bits of news as well, and the first is we've had the announcement of the next in the um, Kotobukiya DC Artifacts Plus line. These are the male um, DC characters that uh, that say they're like a companion line to the Bishoju lines. Um and this one is Flash. Um, these are the new 52 costumes, obviously, and they're extremely shiny. And this one is um, no exception. So the one thing – I haven't seen any of these in person, and I'll be interested to see them. The one thing that I you know, am just kind of wondering about is the fact that they're just – the character they're not they don't have a a base or any kind of diorama um piece to them like the Bushoju pieces do um so i'm wondering how they compare price point wise um they're not articulated but they just look like action figures really so um not sure that i'm going to be adding these to my collection but it, it does look good i think the flash looks he looks very shiny anyway I think it gives new meaning to the phrase "new and shiny," doesn't it? Yeah. Like, is, is this is this the whole DC new thing? As part of the new costumes, they all have to be shiny as well. Uh, I don't know. It's Teflon, so that he can go faster. Oh, okay. That, well, that makes much more sense. Thank you. <laughs> so this will be the third one. I don't know. Are any of these out yet? I haven't seen any in person. There's Superman and Green Lantern. No, I didn't even know that Superman had been solicited. Uh, I saw Green Lantern, and yeah. now I'm seeing Flash, and I completely missed Superman. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, mean, I think it's – they definitely are good-looking, um, and, you know, it could be a, a – you know, but if they don't make female characters like this, then I don't know how it's going to work in terms of the way that, you know, you display them. So, um, mm. you know, worth, worth a try anyway, and they're definitely good-looking. That's good. Um, and the other the other bit, there's a little toy line we rarely talk about called Hot Toys. I don't know if you've heard of them at all. They do a few things, you know, and really – they knew. I, you know, look, they are, but they've had a couple of successes. So, you know, it's good to kind of try and support them. Um, th- they've uh, announced a new Wolverine figure, and this is um, based on – and this is where I be- get a bit confused. Apparently it's from the superhero blockbuster X-Men The Last Stand. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, apparently there was a third X-Men movie. I had no idea. No. Me either. So yeah. So this is, you know, but but this is um, Wolverine from that movie with the yellow piping on his 
um, gear and, you know, definitely going to sell well because that original Hot Toys Wolverine is, um, you know, extremely popular and impossible to find for less than a heart and a lung on the secondary mm. market. Um, sure. so good, good looking piece and, you know, clever, um, way to get Wolverine out there but not annoy people by doing a reissue um, but do something different instead. The It, it comes with a sentinel head which is um, you know, <laughs> yay <laughs> because there aren't enough of those. No, yeah. no that's me. <laughs> Although this is a movie sentinel head so you know it's different. It's different. Um, and uh, yeah but I mean yeah, definitely going to excite a lot of Hot Toys collectors and give you your Wolverine, which is a um, yeah, good-looking piece. Great Hugh Jackman likeness. Um, and uh, not for me, but well done, Hot Toys. Okay. Well, that's interesting little Wolverine for sure. I, I don't... I know some people that'll be interested in that. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple bits in... Uh, they finally announced a Doctor Who Rory action figure um, from the Doctor Who line. Um, just when he's getting ready to leave the show, yeah. <laughs> they'll bring a of him out. So uh, but that's good news for all the, the Doctor Who collectors out there. I mean, he's got his trademark little um, 80s vest on, so <laughs> I was glad to see that. What, what do you think of the likeness? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I think the face is not bad, but the hair doesn't seem... Right at all. You know, I'm wondering if it's an episode specific or some kind of publicity shot specific because he kind of always has like messed up hair. It seems like. Mm. And I wonder if it's from something particular. I'm not sure on that. Hmm. What's uh, with the, uh, the? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say there's a BBC variant. Hmm. Yeah, exclusive. Um, it looks like it's just a different color variant, but um, yeah. yeah, for for all you completists out there, that's going to be probably a hold up depending on where you're at in the world. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's definitely great to see that he's getting a figure. It'd be a shame to miss that one because he has become such a. Yeah, I, I, I love that character because in in the very beginning of the Matt Smith series, you didn't get an idea of how important he was going to become. Um, you know, like he was just he was just kind of there, but um, it wasn't obvious right away that he was going to become such an enduring character and. Um, he's he's a favorite of mine as far as companions go, so I'm glad that we're getting a figure of him. Yeah, I mean, he kind of had uh, one of the more important roles in this last season for sure, you know, with, or not this last season, but whole Pandorica, you know, I'm going to wait around for 2,000 years. So mm. good for him. <laughs> That's good. Good news. Our, um, yeah, good news. Our, our last little bit of news here. Um, uh, some mini mates news because we seem to always have that these days. There is going to be a Comic Fest exclusive Walking Dead two pack with Dale and a zombie, and these are black and white versions. And I I really love the Dale figure. I, I think that's just awesome, and, and his his jacket's pretty cool too. But the hat on that just really sells that figure oh, yeah. to me. It, yeah. it does. It works really well. Well, I, I just I hadn't actually clicked on a link uh, until just now, and sometimes the way, and I guess Lego does this too, but the way they sometimes end up doing key parts of a, a character's sort of costume, so to speak, just sometimes doesn't quite work. But um, no, they've really nailed them. Are, are these black I and white it. figures, or is it just black and white photography that we're seeing on that that site? Mm. No, I believe we're seeing black and white figures. Oh, that's right. I think they, that's, they are, yeah. So. Yep. 
popular black and white comic book. So fair enough. I I, I love the um, stump on the female zombie. Yeah, <laughs> Rick that way too. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, really good looking figures. Yeah, I love the jacket. Like you said, I think the jacket with the um, little fuzzy collar is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing just well done, just well done. Well done. Who who would have thought? Really, I mean, you look at Mini Mates and just the the amazing life that that Mini Mates have had and how popular they are, and um, yeah, it's kind of hard to. I, I wonder if when they were first kind of created, that people had any idea how big a deal and how successful they would be. I don't think so at all. I, I they've just kind of taken off and you know spread out to different properties. All right, then. That wraps up Articulated News. We'll be right back with the installment of the AFB podcast game, Name That. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... It's named Sadie. My name is... My name is... What? My name is... It's named Sadie. My name is... What? Excuse me. My name is... It's named Can I have the attention of the class? For one second. Well, each week here on the podcast, we have another installment of the fantastic Name That Audio Game, which is hosted by our good friend John from the website tvandfilmtoys.com. And when John is here in person, which he is um, doing with increasing regularity, he does it live. So, John, we're handing over to you to do it live. Thank you, Scott. Um, last week, we heard a kind of acoustic uh, sound, and if you remember, it sounded like... And I'll ask you guys if you had any guesses. Um, well, this is going to sound strange, but my wife has a guess. Because oh. um, my wife had to listen to this this week because after I edit it, we I always listen to it in the car, and she happened to be driving um, with me on that particular trip. And she reckoned that it was an alien from V. Oh, <laughs> it kind of looks like an alien from V, yeah, so I, but it's not. I just said I would put that. I said, I don't think they actually made aliens from V, darling, but I'll put it out there. But I just thought it was very impressive that she actually even knew what an alien from V was. <laughs> Seeing as she, <laughs> can't really t- she couldn't really pick Aquaman out of a lineup. So, <laughs> Well, it, it, it is lizard-like. It is, it is actually a Dilophosaur, Jurassic Park. Ah. Uh. Ah, that was my other guess. That's right. Actually, that's what she said next. She didn't let me finish. (laughs) (laughs) What was it again? A what? A Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus. The one with the big thing that kills Newman. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, cool. (laughs) Well, very good. So that was, we, we haven't had a Jurassic Park one before. No, so. Awesome. A little different. Yeah. And. Since I'm here live again, we'll we'll go with another live one. And um, this week sounds a little bit. We're going the animal world again, and it sounds like. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you one more. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that one. As always, if you have a guess, head on over to the AFB forum and and leave your guess there in the forum. Sometimes I give hints or clues or uh, 
you know, sometimes you get it right and you, you look like you're like a master of the, the sound waves. So um, <laughs> come on over and visit us there. Thank you very much for that, John. When we come back, we'll be talking about the things we've added to our collection with Feeding the Addiction. Mego presents the Planet of the Apes action figures. Dr. Zaius, the orangutan scientist. Cornelius, the archaeologist. Zira, the woman scientist. The soldier ape. And the astronaut. All Planet of the Apes action figures sold separately by Migo. We're all here because we collect, so Feeding the Addiction is where we take time to check in with each other and discuss any new acquisitions or pre-orders we've made. Gents, what's new this week? John, what about yourself? Well, I actually got some mini-mates, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I picked up a, a mummy and sarcophagus from Universal Monsters line, um, the pair of them. Uh, the sarcophagus really sold me on that. It, it sculpted on the outside just beautifully, and it's beautifully um, so you'll be seeing a review of that in the near future. And the, the mummy's okay. I mean, he's he's pretty basic mini-mate. He doesn't have any extra pieces or anything, but the sarcophagus is just That's awesome. awesome. It is, yeah. I love the fact that the sarcophagus has a mini-mate's face. Like, that's that's spot on. And does the he mummy actually, fit in the sarcophagus? Yes, he does. Awesome. It opens up and, and he fits in there. Oh, he awesome. actually has the joint sculpted for the head underneath the chin. You can see the, the ball joint. And he's... um. The mini mate elbow joints are sculpted in there as well, so it's it's pretty cool. Fantastic! Is I really like that. Very cool. So, is there any of the two sets at the moment? Um, yeah, there's a set with um, there's a pack with the mummy and the sarcophagus, Anax and Amun, and the main hero from the movie. Um, I want to say there are two other sets, and I'm trying to remember what. I think there's a Quasimodo set, and oh, cool. I, I can't remember what the other one past that is. Maybe another Wolfman set, but I can't remember. Very good. All right, we'll have to keep an eye out for those. Excellent. All right, Scott, what about you? Huge week? Well, this is <laughs> my second week in the row where I haven't got anything new, which is a bit... Good, good grief. I think the very fabric of reality is going to be torn asunder. <laughs> I know. But um, next week is big week, um, just in time for Australian Father's Day, which is next Sunday. Um, I will be definitely getting two Bowens and possibly three that I mentioned last week, <laughs> Rogue, Union Jack, and Sunfire. Um, and I also, last week, totally confused um, when... Um, I said, no, no, I didn't order them from my comic shop. I ordered them all from Big Bad. Well, wrong. I ordered Union Jack and Sunfire from Ostra Comics <laughs> in Melbourne <laughs> um, and forgot and actually had them on pre-order at Big Bad as well. And thankfully, Mitch um, from Ostra Comics emailed me to say, I hope you've been saving your pennies because Union Jack and Sunfire are both coming in next week. To which I frantically went, oh, shit, and, and <laughs> got on Big Bad and cancelled them. So thank you, Big Bad, for your fantastic cancellation policy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So otherwise I would have had five Bowens <laughs> next week, which would have been a bit scary. So looking forward to it, though. It's going to be um, particularly um, that Sunfire statue looks fantastic and looking forward to all of them. And there's one statue each for my three girls to give me for Father's Day. Wow, but very it, nice. I know, but nothing... Mm -hmm. Nothing new this week. 
Oh, okay. Um, I had a, a big week, and uh, that's a big week not because of the number of items, but big in the uh, size of the item that I got, and I received my Sideshow Colossus premium format statue, Ooh. and he is gigantic. Mm. Um, I awesome. thought he, uh, he, he is. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought the Bowen Giant Man statue was big, um, but uh, I'll actually have to – I might even try and take a photo of the two of them together because uh, I think Colossus will definitely give him a run for his money. Um, he he's just enormous. He's obviously quarter scale, um, fits in well with the Wolverine that I reviewed last week, and uh, I think he's definitely uh, much to uh, our pal Jeremy's um, disdain a, a future Toy of the Week review <laughs> item. <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> sorry, Jeremy, uh, not another Marvel item, but um, no. Look, uh, I, I was a bit. I'm now a bit hesitant with every sideshow item that that comes through because of um, just a bit of a bad run of paint issues. I guess you know, Bowen's had a, a fair share of those too. So on such a, a big ticket item, you, you do get a bit nervous, but the, the paint on this guy is just mm. flawless, absolutely spot on. Um, I, I, haven't, I can't fault it in any way. So, I, I yeah, I might um, talk about him and uh, subsequent. I, I wasn't really grabbed by this. I mean, I'm... I'm only doing the female premium formats now, um, but uh, just the the cloth, um, the way that his tunic was done, I wasn't kind of sold on. How, how do you find it? Well, I know that was one of the main main comments when the uh, first solicitation pictures came out, but I've always found it kind of mildly amusing that um, these these superheroes have such uh, phenomenal musculature that the clothes stick to every crevice and <laughs> you can see their 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 six packs through their costumes and and things like that and uh, obviously that's just the way comics are done and the way characters are depicted hmm. but um it, it honestly doesn't bother me and when you see it in the flesh it just it works really really well um that's great yeah i, I just i i it I got the exclusive version, so that oh, means he comes up. Uh, he comes with a swap out head, so he's got sort of the normal face and the the sort of the angry teeth gritted kind of face. And uh, I do like the the teeth gritted, so I'm glad I got the exclusive. But um, it just it's just so nicely finished, and the way his armor is done um, is it's just perfect. I'm really really impressed. That's so that's great. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, if no one has any other items to report, it's time to award another red card to something or someone in the toy universe. What is this bizarro world? Red Carded is a chance to poke fun at the WTF moments in our hobby, be they unusual announcements, a complete fail action figure or worse. And handing out the penalty this week is John, so over to you. Thank you, Ben. Time I am throwing a red card at the Sci-Fi Channel for their new show collection intervention. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to check this out, but um, poking fun at the the demographic of their their channel um, <laughs> by looking at toy collectors and you know the size of their collection, them look like hoarders. Um, that's really my biggest fear with this show is that you know I'm I'm going to be in a toy aisle and people are going to be pointing and going, oh look he. Toy collectors like on that show. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I agree completely. You know, this is not what we need to, to promote, um, you know, pop culture with 
the, the recent years of, of those huge movies like the Avengers, where we're finally sort of adding some credibility to something that, you know, we've, we've, um, we've understood for years, but now the rest of the world is finally starting to see it. And then a show like this comes along and just pokes fun at people. And while the, the show doesn't deliberately poke fun, the, the underlying intention is, is kind of there. I mean, you don't want to talk to normal people on this show because that's no fun. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I watched the first episode of this show, and it's um, it's divided into two segments. The first is uh, a husband and wife who collects Star Wars, and in the, the wife in particular is obsessed with Star Wars, and the entire house is just covered with Star Wars. Like every single room has just shelves and shelves of Star Wars stuff, and we're not just talking sort of vintage figures. We're talking um, we're talking one one to one scale statues in in the middle of the living room and that and uh, the other episode is about a husband and wife and the uh, the husband collects catwoman collectibles and but he actually only has a few items on display in the house and the rest is actually hidden away in the garage and uh, i guess my my biggest gripe um with this is that both of these people are, are put into positions in the show where they actually have to part with their collections. Oh. And basically, you know, I'll start with the Catwoman guy and his wife is really unhappy about the amount of money he spends on his collectibles. And she says that, you know, he just comes home with stuff all the time and he would rather buy Catwoman collectibles than pay the mortgage. And they're now in financial grief basically because they they can't pay their bills they can't meet the mortgage because he spends money on his collection and I, i'm sorry but anybody who does that has a mental illness it's as simple as that that, that that's not normal no um and and you know this this show is about oh well you know and they drag his catwoman collection down to a, a comic book store and they 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 sell it basically and they get enough money to sort of pay the, the mortgage and, and sort of work their way out of debt. But, you know, uh, and this is exactly what you said, John. This is exactly, you know, the, the stigma that, that we've tried so hard to, to get away from. I mean, there is, there is absolutely nothing in my collection that I, I, I would not hesitate to part from if I couldn't meet my mortgage. Yeah. Um, it's that simple. Yeah. Like the, you know, what, what, there's, there's no point having a collection out on the street if you don't have a house to put it in. No. So, yeah. so it seems like, you know, it's focusing on, you know, a particular thing that's actually just a symptom of a, an illness, as you said, yeah. but, but, you know, making a show about it. And what, you know, I guess what we're kind of objecting to is that it gives a, it gives a whole, a wide group of people who, I mean, obviously, you know, I think collectors are a particular personality, and you and we probably all do have a bit of that obsessive, um, you know, gene or whatever it is. But most of us know how to keep that in check, you know. And it is, I mean, it is a something that you do have to be wary of. But it, like you, I mean, I for me, it's a hobby. It keeps me, you know, kind of sane and happy. But it should never come at the you know, financial expense or otherwise of my family. Um, yep. and I don't want to be portrayed as someone that, um, you know, would do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the other couple, the woman who collects the star Wars memorabilia, um, they, they make a particular notice that 
as in they point out that they buy anything with Star Wars on it. They've even got sort of um, like spatulas and, and sort of egg flips with, you know, Darth Vader's head on it and things like that. And so they start talking to this woman about parting with, with the collection because with them it's not a financial thing, it's a space thing. They, mm. They're running out of space. Mm. And so the, the host, who's this woman who's apparently worked for a number of the big auction houses and she knows what the, you know uh, a lot of the current prices are for a lot of this stuff, um, she brings a, a sort of Star Wars specialist. He's got a, a memorabilia store, etc. And so the four of them are sort of standing there talking about all this stuff. And he says, well, okay, how about I buy some loose figures off of you? And she's like, uh, uh, really? Uh, and he goes, yeah, um, look, you know, how about this group here? I'll give you 300. And she's like, uh, no. And he goes, oh, and they talk. And then he says, well, how about 500? And she's like, uh, no. And then the host is going, look, you know, you have to start somewhere. You have to let something go. And she's like, oh, and the guy's like, oh, what about like one figure? How, how about one figure, like an Ewok? And she's like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. And oh, which one? And he says, well, you know, if it's an Ewok, it's it's got to be wicked because he's the most popular. And she's like, oh, okay. And she sort of hands this figure over to him. And she's like, she's borderline breaking down. She's in tears. And they're all like, oh, you can do it. Oh, oh, come on. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Fuck's Get over it. It's a fucking action figure. I mean, do you know how common loose Star Wars figures are? I mean, there is billions of them on eBay. Get over it. <laughs> you know? And I just can't believe the the, the huge kind of deal they make it out to be that this woman's got a house full of star wars yet she can't pass with one loose action figure i think that's so, right to put her in that position no, I don't you know either. and um i was following some people were talking about this show on twitter this week and and they said you know they go into people's collections and say hey this guy has a really cool transformers collection or this people have a good star wars collection and go in and talk to them about it you know yeah. they just rather see that yeah, well, I don't exactly want to see somebody. Fun. I don't want to see somebody break down. I I understand why they would, you know. And I'm not saying it, but I, I don't put it on TV and make money off of it. No, um, right. that that sense of drama is is what TV is all about these days. Mm. Um, the other thing I find really interesting is that Star Wars couple had some some amazing stuff, really sort of high end sideshow that that kind of thing, and uh, you know. I've mentioned a few times either on the forum or on the podcast that, that, you know, I've got a lot of old comics. But, you know, you won't get me telling people what I've got. I don't want people to know what old comics that I've got. So the idea of actually going on a a television show that could be viewed around the world and showing everybody what I've got Mm. and then having, you know, having some, you know, some sort of criminal who, who lives down the street go, you know, I've seen that woman at my, my local shop. You know, oh, I, should, I should follow her home. You know, that, that sounds like, you know, right for, um, you know, knocking over next time she goes to cruise the toy aisles. Mm. I guess it's all kind of, you know, symptomatic of this breed of reality television that basically makes money out of people's misfortune, um, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And I think that, you know, you look at stuff like this, or the best example I can think of is this amazing British show called Embarrassing Bodies, where people go on television to have 
physical things that they have been so embarrassed about they haven't seen a doctor about it for 10 years sorted out. And suddenly they're on television getting their tackle out to say, I've had this weird lump on my testicle for 15 years, and uh, what is it? And <laughs> and you just think, <laughs> like, I mean, that it, it's just, it is bizarre on so many levels. A, you know, that that that's actually a television show that that you know that people watch i've seen half an episode of it just in horrid fascination like a train train wreck that you can't turn off mm-hmm. um but you know that that the whole psychology of it i mean i think possibly they get free medical treatment and that's the only reason why you know yeah. that they, they, they might do it but it's just that that whole kind of strange you know thing that, that that's television yeah and and you know that hoarders is television and this is just another example of it but yeah, you know, I guess without getting too far off the track, it's, what we're really objecting to is kind of painting all collectors in that light when really it's a different thing, which is some sort of mental illness. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side, we have a T or had a TV show in Australia called Collectors where yeah. they would actually focus on people's collections every week. And, and that was actually amazing because that's yes. what it was about. It was about celebrating someone's collection. And, you know, I, I saw a, a quite a few people on there who had comic book collections and toy collections. And while I'd certainly never volunteer myself to go on a show like that, that was actually fun because they talked about people and the reasons why they collect. And, and you know, hey, the host turned out to be a pedophile, so who knows? Um, <laughs> Oh, well, everyone collects different maybe, things. Maybe not, things. <laughs> maybe not such a good example after all. Uh. <laughs> yes. So, uh, anyway, thanks for that, John, for uh, another fantastic red card. And coming up after that well-deserved fail is our discussion topic of the week. You can make them fly or jump or crash your wall. Superhero action figures over seven inches tall. Each sold separately. Superman, Batman. These superhero action figures each sold separately. Batman, Superman, Incredible Hulk, and Spider-Man each sold separately by Mego. The Mego World's Greatest Superheroes line has a special place in every toy collector's heart. They are, after all, the great-grandparents of the universe building we take for granted today. And whether you own them then, collect them today, or just plain can't understand why Batman wore oven mitts, there's no doubt that the Mego World's Greatest Superheroes holds a proud place in toy collecting history. Now, for this discussion, we have a very special guest, and so we'd like to throw out a warm welcome to Brian, a.k.a. Palatoy, from MegoMuseum.com. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, this is pretty exciting for us. This is our first official uh, special guest, and, uh, and what better way to, uh, to do that with uh, Mego? And Brian, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get involved in Mego? Um, it's a bit of a childhood obsession. Uh, my dad sold toys when I was a kid. Now, he was not a, a, a first uh, toy rep. Basically, what he did is he sold to the variety stores and the convenience channel. So he would look for closeouts. So he would drive around, you know, and, and talk to different companies and buy their old stock. So Miko uh, in Canada, where where I'm from, they 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 had overstock of um, Action Jackson, Planet of the Apes, Western heroes, and stuff like that. So he would go there and buy cases and skids of this stuff. So I always grew up kind of immersed in it, and. Wow. When I got a little older, I got obsessed with it again, like when I was about 15. And my dad drove me to the warehouse, and I bought a lot of their clearance, superheroes, Star Trek, things like that. So wow. I've, I've, kind of, I've kind of always been 
a bit obsessed with Mego. It is my first love. <laughs> Fantastic. So does yeah. that mean you have sort of fond memories of seeing cases or unopened cases of action figures and things like that? I vividly remember sitting on a skid of Planet of the Apes figures wow. that were all wow. just one one character, but I was <laughs> looking for the humans. You know, and I was like seven years old, opening a box, going no, and then opening another box. Yeah, I, I, that that is my childhood. <laughs> so, Brian, you've wow. got um, two really well-known websites. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about them and how they came to be? Sure. Um, the the first one would be Mego Museum, and I did not start that. It was started by my partner Scott Adams. Um, however, I've always been something of a, a person who was fascinated by toy history. I collect um, magazines, catalogs, anything pertaining to the company itself. Uh, so we kind of gelled together in in providing content. Scott is an amazing artist and presenter, and I just brought a lot of content to it. Um, out of spinning, spinning out of that was I would buy a whole catalog for the one Mego page, or I'd buy a magazine just for a Mego mention, and then I'd put it away, and it seemed wasteful. So what I did was I started a website, which is humor and um, nostalgia and, and toy information, called Plaid Stallions, and uh, that's every other bit of the catalogs, magazines. Um, uh, anything I find, basically, and it's dedicated to my other obsessions, and and it's kind of grown out of control. <laughs> and, and you've got a an alter ego or a character on Plaid Stallions called Brick Mantooth. How, how did he come about? It's a bit of a joke gone too far. Um, <laughs> at first, it was a, a model that I saw that I dubbed that name, and then we started creating kind of a mythology about it. Uh, then my partner Scott kind of drew a cartoon character, and now I have an action figure in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like the logical thing to do, but you know, it's it's it is really a joke gone too far, and 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 it's it's funny, and I'm really glad other people get it. Yeah, and, and the Brit Mantooth um, doll actually can be purchased, can't it? Yes, absolutely. What what it is is um, Scott and I created uh, a whole mythology for Brick, and, and we're actually I'm actually working on a a magazine right now that will have a Brick Mantooth Mego Museum Super Collector comic in it. Uh, <laughs> so it'll explain it'll explain everything, and and it was the art's done by a, 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 an artist uh, that we know by the name of Chris Franklin. It's it's going to be fabulous, but you can buy Brick in his solid box and he comes with his alter ego which is the Mego Museum super collector and it comes with a little Mego Museum it, it's it's just i can't believe i did like we did this <laughs> <laughs> how, how did it actually get made like who who made it well i'm i'm lucky enough that i've been with Mego fandom Mm. online since the early 90s and and in the early 90s i can remember a guy coming online and saying i am no longer paul i'm dubbing myself dr migo and i i remember vividly looking at my laptop and going whatever and of course <laughs> you know um paul proved me wrong and he did become dr migo and he started mc toys and he was um he was helpful enough. He really wanted to see it happen, so he really helped me uh, get the toy produced in China. That's fantastic. Yeah, excellent. That's fantastic. And, and, and I should add that I'm friends with a uh, – just from, like, 
from my early 20s, I've been friends with a, uh, a person who turned out to be a major toy, des- toy sculptor and designer who also <laughs> got the joke and said, I'll sculpt the head for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's very handy. Yeah, that is yes. That's fantastic. Now, Brian, I noticed that um, the uh, according to the Wikipedia page that the Mego World's Greatest Superheroes figures actually got underway in 1972. So we're, we're hitting that 40th anniversary. Yeah, I think 72. I think actually they came about in 73. You oh, know, most, okay. to, most toy items are backdated a year yeah. just by the very nature of the toy industry. Um there's a great book out there called World's Greatest Toys by Benjamin Holcomb, who's, who's a friend of mine, and it'll it'll elaborate much more detail than I, I could. But um, basically what happened was Mego released Action Jackson in 72. And um, you, guys have, you guys have used the word buck here on, on your uh, overview. <laughs> that is not a term that Mego collected. This is body. Body. Uh, body. Body. Ooh, <laughs> okay. Oh. And, and, and according to who you listen to, um, you know, there's several versions of this story, but basically what happened is there's a man named Stan Weston, and mm-hmm. Stan Weston created uh, Captain Action, and he brought he he represented Licensing Corp of America. I think it's his business actually, and he had the superheroes, and he brought um, the idea of hey, you've got this great generic body, why don't you put different heads on it? And make different characters. And I think the the famous story is he brought Dick Tracy Customs and Charlie Chan, which I'm sure every kid wanted in 1970. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, you know, Marty Abrams, who was president of Amigo, said, can you get me Batman and Robin? And Neil Cublin, uh, vice president of research and development, made a pitch to get the DC superheroes and the minute they got the DC superheroes, I think it was um, Kenny Abrams looked at the Batman and said, "We're Spider-Man." So they went back and got the Marvel heroes, and uh, the 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 world's greatest superheroes was was officially born. I think in '73. By by Christmas of '73, you could get the the Marvel heroes as well. Hmm. So, so Captain that- America and Spider-Man. That is just amazing to think about because today there's no way in the world you could have a line. I mean, I mean, it's proven we can't have a you know, of any scale that matches for any of those figures. So, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that's just stunning to think that, that that could happen in a marketing world. Well, even even more so if you really want to think about it. Um, and this is something I find fascinating because I worked in licensing for a few years. You know, the the first Mego superheroes uh, rolled out. And then there were changes made. Uh, like there were things like, you know, they put Spider-Man and Captain America next to Batman and Superman on the header. Yeah. And then they removed it because, you know, Marvel wanted their own card. and uh, Or they put out the Mr. Mixilis Piddlick. <laughs> and DC said, change that head sculpt. We don't like it. Hmm. And, you know, like nowadays, if you don't get full approval no. on an item and it's going to the market, you better destroy it and make more. But, you know, Mego kind of had this, like, free range to fool around. And, and you know, there's, there's you know, the, the, we're in a world of style guides where you do this with the packaging and you do that. And there's just so much leeway back then um, because the licensing aspect of it wasn't as powerful as it is today. Hmm. You know? Yeah. 
When Mattel acquired the rights to produce DC uh, merchandise in, in, and especially the, the DC Universe classics, there were rumours that they they paid extraordinary amounts of money for that license. And so the idea of one company holding the license for both DC and Marvel, do you know if um, back then, you know, it was comparable? Um, you know, I don't think it would even compare because, mm. you know, there was only one uh, a kick at the can, so to speak, of superhero action figures, and that was mm. Captain Action. And it, Captain Action for whatever reason didn't bomb it had it 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 stopped short once batmania was over they just stopped selling superhero toys and the line died and i think there's various reasons for that but what i'm trying to say is there was a stink of failure uh whether it was deserved or undeserved on the mego on the superheroes brand in total um i think mego probably paid a good guarantee for it but um i think that they were I think they, they, it was an it was an unexpected surprise at how well it sold. Hmm. So I don't think you know you have to look at Mattel in when did Mattel acquire that in the early two thousands? Yeah, um, they, they they've got Mego, Kenner, um, Hasbro. You know it's it's impossible to compare. Um, you know there's no sales history basically in 1972. And and I suppose what you were just illustrating about the free reign they had with the designs is just, you know, it illustrates that they didn't know at that stage the the value or I guess the power of that licensing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, from what is rumored and what I've been told from from various Mego insiders, the Marvel licensing department consisted of a secretary. (laughs) <laughs> so and and if you know it's not so uh, it's not so obvious on the Mego stuff, but if you look at some of the Azrak Hamway toys that they produce, which is a competitor of Mego, there's some just they, they have such a free license to do whatever they want. There is a I'm working on a book called Rack Toys, which is just about cheapo rack toys. Just to digress for a second, there is actually a set in 1976, and there's two versions of it. It's called Spider-Man the Exterminator, and it is a handgun, <laughs> a badge, and handcuffs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which is, you know, try, getting that, try getting that out today. <laughs> oh, wow. So. so your own you know, first memories of the Mego line you, you mentioned came through the stuff that your dad sold. Yes. In terms of the ones that you treasure the most – um, you know, what are, what are your favorites? Uh, my favorite Mego superheroes? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I have a, a collection, but there's certain things in my collection. Like, I have my childhood Hulk. I have my childhood Green Goblin. Um, I was very into the Marvels as a kid, so I love Captain America. I love Mego Captain America. Um, you know, it, 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 it's like trying to pick your favorite child in a certain degree. Um, in Mego superheroes, I am especially fond of uh, a subline they did called comic action heroes. Have you guys heard of that? Um, they were the smaller them. ones, right? Yeah. It's a very crude, um, three and three quarter inch action figure line. Okay, it was yes. one of the first. Yeah. yeah. And just, I love the packaging. I love the, the, they, the why, why they did it is they wanted to release bigger play sets and, 
Um, I'm fascinated with that line. I, I just absolutely adore it. So mm -hmm. that that's probably one of my favorite things. On the eight inch side, you know, um, there, there's a lot to love. Uh, you know, the Aquaman versus the Great White Shark, um, the uh, the secret identities. You know, crazy stuff like that. Hmm. I am a huge Aquaman fan, and oh, good to hear. Yeah, and the Mego. Aquaman stuff is right at the top of my um, Holy Grail list, but uh, n none of my childrens have been particularly interested in sacrificing a kidney to pay for them. So, you know, which, which is churlish and you know unfair of them, but that's kids for you. There's right. several Aquaman pieces I bought like 15 years ago, mm. and I, you know, I paid like two, three hundred dollars, and I would just go, "Oh God, what am I doing?" <laughs> and now it's, I can honestly say. If I hadn't have gotten them then, I wouldn't own them. No. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, it wouldn't happen. So I'm, I'm glad I do. He is, he was packed lightly per case all through his career. <laughs> and uh, uh, Story of so his it, life, really. <laughs> What's it's changed? A, it's a small miracle he got out there. I think he got out there because of the Filmation series. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I don't know if you guys know this, but... The origin of the name World's Greatest Superheroes um, is because of a syndicated package that was running on New York's Channel 5 at the time, which consisted of reruns of, you know, Lone Ranger, um, Superman, Superboy, Batman and Robin, and Aquaman cartoons. Ah, hmm. uh, yes, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so it raised – the guys at Mego, they, they, they were all kind of, you know – post you know war kids like you know neil Cublin, his his insistence for the original line was tarzan hmm. because he, his dad used to call him tarzan and he loved the character hmm. not the most relevant character in 1972 <laughs> 1973 you know um so they, those guys didn't know superheroes you know that that was more of a 10 years younger than them sort of sort of game um, so Aquaman, I think, got in there because of he was on TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got to have something going for him, the poor guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's had some pretty good years lately. Oh, he has. Absolutely. It's yeah. a good time to be an Aquaman fan right now. And, and you know, relating it to Mego, it seems like, uh, I don't know if you guys are following this, but Robot Chicken is doing a, oh, a yes. special. <laughs> yes. And it looks like Aquaman's going to be the winner in that one. Yep. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've, I don't know if you've seen the cover, but it's it's fantastic. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I was loving it. <laughs> so nice to see after all those, after the 90s yeah. kind of picked on him. <laughs> so. So but, you uh, mentioned. Sorry, go ahead, John. Now, you mentioned the Tarzan figure. Um, yeah. Is there any particular reason they went with the bodysuit that they did on that figure? Well, yeah, he's kind of yeah, it's kind of strange. When the world when Tarzan was being developed, um, they were using the Type One body, which is uh, an earlier body that has a lot of like clunky rivets, and it doesn't look like a natural human form, and. See, what Mego would do is they did 
they did update their body style quite a bit. And I think by 1975, when they released Conan and Thor, they had this kind of new muscular body style called, we call affectionately the type two body or the type B body. And it, um, it eliminated the need to cover up those joints and rivets. Um, but Migo, I think by that time, pretty much had dropped Tarzan from the line. Uh, I think it was by 75 or 76, they just said um, they didn't want to negotiate with e Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, anymore, who wanted to spin off the license based on a new cartoon show they were developing with Filmation. Hmm. So, and I think Mattel picked it up after that. It's interesting just, you know, looking at the uh, Mega Museum site at the moment, and I was looking at the Aquaman page, and just to look at a couple of those cards there where, you know, on the front you've got uh, DC characters, you've got Captain America and Tarzan all on the same yeah. card. And certainly, I mean, I remember I, I'm a kid of the 70s, and I grew up in, in the States in the 70s, and I think some of my kind of concepts as a kid of – which characters belong to which comic universe were quite skewed by pouring over the cards of the Mego stuff in the toy aisles. Uh, yeah. You, you know how you kind of see, because I, I remember vividly, I would never had any of them. I had the, the Star Trek Migos is the only ones mm -hmm. that I ever owned. Um, and um, I remember asking for the superhero ones a few times and, and never getting them, but I would spend ages looking at them and that kind of idea of, all those guys being on the same card, you know, when I finally did come to comics later on, it was like, oh, they, they don't actually go together. Like, I, I just thought <laughs> yeah. they were all friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can honestly remember bringing my Iron Man over to my friend's house to show him, and he wanted to use Superman. And I said, no, they're from different companies, man. And it's, <laughs> wow, that's some strange rules to put on play, you know? <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was also the beauty of Mego is that everything fit in its own universe. You know, the Planet of the Apes crossed over to Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, the Mego superheroes could join in and fight the the monsters. You know, it was it was kind of that's that's kind of the beauty of its simplicity is that everybody was at the same scale. That's just fantastic. I mean, I I'd love for that to happen today. I really would. Yeah. yeah, I still it, say, hmm? you know, I'm still a man figure that I can I could use, you know, with Marvel lines. I really am. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that somebody actually gets the Marvel license one of these days and does um, Mego superheroes. Or yeah. it's tough. Everybody wants to do their own scale. Mm. You know, aren't, don't Marvel Legends and DC Universe classics kind of gel though? They do in scale, probably, but not as much in kind of sculpt and articulation. They're quite distinct in terms of the way that, you know, we call them bucks, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know, are um, put together. But you, you could make them work, but they're just a bit – they are a bit different, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not I, – I don't – I go to Toys R Us for my kids. I, <laughs> I rarely buy for me, so. Um, you, you mentioned the Mattel revival – um, of these a little while ago. What, what did you think of that as a as a fan of the Mego stuff? I, I I was all for it. It was certainly you know there was times where I'm a vintage collector by heart, mm. and I usually only buy things 
now that I don't have. Like, I, if somebody reproduces Amigo line that I already have, I don't need it. No. But, you know, if somebody does an 8-inch Tom Baker Doctor Who, I, I grab it with both hands. Yeah. Um, when I looked at that stuff, uh, you know, on the page, I'd go, well, I don't need another Batman. Mm. But when I'd see it at the store... I buy it because it was like, oh, wow, you know, and, and the whole nostalgia. Um, I thought they were a nice effort. There were some things I wish that, you know, th those were designed by Dr. Migo and, and Joe Senna over at MC Toys. But then Mattel would, you know, they, they demanded their own body and, and things like that, which mm -hmm. I thought was okay. But it could have been, you know, could have been better using the MC style body. Um what, what does you that know, mean? Sorry for for the, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, MC has a body style, a couple of different body styles that are very close to original vintage Mego. Okay. And uh, Mattel designed, developed, and designed for whatever internal reasons, and I think they're pretty valid. But you know, they they have this credo that they have to sculpt and know who sculpted. And, you know, it's it's it's, it's ethical. Um, so they created their own body, and I, I, a lot of people viewed the retro action body as a little bit inferior to the uh, the the ones that Doctor Mego is producing. Okay. So that was that was a little bit of griping. Uh, the other thing about the line, and this is just one of those things where you know, Mego means different things to different people. You know, they were constantly evolving, so you get things like oven mitt gloves. <laughs> and they never they never went back and fixed stuff. Hmm. Um, so you know, Batman with oven mitt gloves started in 1973 and he ended in 1982. <laughs> um, but you know, when when it came time to do the Green Arrow, the head was much more photorealistic. The gloves were now uh, painted hands with you know cu cuffs. You know, so it's hard. You know, it's hard to have a vision for a line now and say I'm going to make it just like Mego did. Because you could do completely photorealistic stuff, mm. or you could do oven mitts, you know. And and I think that was a lot of people's interpretations of what Mego is. And a lot of people wanted like a Hot Toys quality mm. yeah. to the the revive Mego. I, that, that's not really for me. But no, 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 no. So it was kind of like a subject for debate. I thought. Um, I thought it was a, a, a good kick at the can. I liked the line. It its biggest problem seemed to be distribution. Yes. And um, you know that I think it could have done better, but I, I don't. I don't think there's necessarily any sort of fault with the product itself so much as it was getting it out there. Yeah. You know, well, I, I, I was um, I was quite a, a young child in in the seventies, and uh, for the life of me, I cannot remember seeing an eight inch mego figure in the toy aisles in, a, in certainly in the city i grew up in in australia uh which is actually quite unusual because i had probably half of the micronauts figures uh mm. including the space cruiser and and everything and uh i just think that's really kind of unusual i thought that you you would sort of have companies that would distribute uh all of the company's product rather than just bits and pieces but uh, i just yeah i don't recall them that, that would well, be interesting I, to know, actually, and maybe if there's anyone listening who grew up in Australia who did see them, it would be great to let us know. Well, you know, I do. I have seen boxed and carded examples of Migos in Australia. And in fact, Australia is responsible for one of the rarest and most expensive world's greatest superheroes. Uh, Wonder Woman was only released on a card in what appears to be Australia and France. Wow. And uh, it's a it's a 
it's a beautiful blue card. The Wonder Woman figure is unique because she has a different body style, and a um, her tunic's changed a little bit. Like the the graphic on her her uh, her chest piece is a little different, and it is a very hard to find piece, especially when you've got guys collecting the world's greatest superheroes. Mm. On the card, which is something I, I steer clear of, I, I've, even though I've been in the game since the '80s, I, it's too much of a, too expensive a game for me. <laughs> you like um, you like eating, I suppose. Your kids demand food as well, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, the, my kid, my kids are hungry, and the other thing is that for me, it's it's a uniqueness factor. By the time Migo mm-hmm. went to those kind of bubble cards, and I'm not knocking them in any way, but there isn't that much variation between the cards. They're just basically a different color. They're slightly generic, mm. and that makes some people really happy, but me, it's got to have, you know, to drop coin on something, I want something to be kind of like weird and different, Sure. you know? So you, so. you prefer the boxes? Uh, I, I do collect the boxes. I collect what is called, commonly known as Kresge or first issue cards. Okay. Which were um, done before the generic cards. They're kind of more individual. They're higher. They were produced mainly for um, Kmart or Kresge, but they also were sold in other chains that demanded a peg system, you know, where you Mm -hmm. didn't have window boxes. Um, And I'm also obsessed with the solid boxes. The first four superheroes, Batman, Robin, Superman, and Aquaman, were sold in a uh, windowless box. Mm -hmm. That's a, just, a really uh, strange choice, isn't it? Uh, just to, to to hide a toy like that in a, in a box. That actually, it was kind of common back then. Uh, GI Joe, being the the market leader, he didn't. They didn't switch to any sort of system where you could see the figure until almost twelve years into the run. Well, wow. you know, he was always in a like a an Aurora style box where it was a painting on it. And the mm-hmm. art on those is fantastic. I'm obsessed with those. I love the art. <laughs> one one thing that I think um, probably puts a lot of people off Migos on the secondary market, and I know, you know myself, I mean, Aquaman's the only thing I've ever really looked at, is obviously there are a lot of reproduction parts and pieces out there now and Mm -hmm. and for someone who doesn't have the you know kind of insider knowledge that you do it's hard to tell the difference sometimes so you know how do you go about that well there's a couple of ways one one thing is the the major importer of parts uh is dr migo who does mark things like his gloves with a dm uh, we have on the Mega Museum something called Accessory Check. A, f- a fellow that we know, uh, a fellow on the boards named Dave, exhaustively put together this this comparison website, basically saying, "Here's what Dr. Migo's gloves look like. Here's what you know X Company's gloves look like. Wow. Here's what original gloves look like." So you know, th- th- there is there is some um, there is some reference for that. Uh, I'm not thrilled with some of the you know a more unscrupulous people that have produced you know aftermarket knockoffs, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to spot. I, I'm actually just now having a look at the accessory check stuff on the Mega Museum site, and that is fantastic. It's exhaustive. I wish I could take credit for that, but Dave did that. He has more patience than I uh, than me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a great resource because, it, as you said, you know there are people that um, want to pass up 
off stuff that is not original as vintage. And mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have a, a checklist or a resource to um, check with, particularly for the amount of money that you're shelling out for that, um, that it's pretty scary. So just to know there's a resource like that, it's a fantastic thing. The other thing we offer is we have a, a, a forum, and it's it's a pretty busy web forum. But we have um, a, a place called Auction Watch in the forum, which basically, you know, if there's something on eBay and it smells fishy, we point it out. Excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we look after each other. We especially will get the torches out for people who are purposely misleading. <laughs> and they, they they come and go, you know. Mm. Um, there's some real dishonest folks out there. Oh, you know? yeah. 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 That's, that's and I'm true. sure any any avenue of collecting has it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian, I'm first and foremost a comic book collector and have been for as long as I can remember. And one of the things I really enjoy is is hearing news that uh, a particularly um, high quality or a, or a large vintage collection has been uh, sort of uncovered. And uh, I mean, there was one only a few months ago where a fellow was left uh, a stack of comic books um, by his uncle, which turned out to have action number one and detective 27 you know all the good stuff and yeah. good, good stuff that's the understatement of the century yeah, yeah. So, some of those comics that were all right you know like, that's I, the I stuff my mom would recognize yeah. <laughs> well that that's actually true that's a really good point that there really are no surprises anymore but um i'm just wondering as far as Mego goes have there been any significant fines sort of warehouses of unopened cases and things like that yeah, actually, the the one that springs to mind is the Parkdale Novelty Find, which actually I was involved with, um, which is the Toronto Find, where you know I said to my dad, um, I want to find old Migos, and a friend of his was at the house that day, who ran a toy. He had a chain of toy stores in the seventies, and he said, "Oh, you know who's got all that stuff? Um, Morris over at Parkdale Novelty." <laughs> and this was the man who distributed Migos in Canada from the 60s up until about the late 70s. And he actually was the creator of the 12-inch Heroes. So we went to visit him, and his showroom still had Migos in it. Oh my God. It looked like <laughs> the 70s. Uh, he gave me a sweet deal. I got a whole bunch of different stuff. He also gave me connections of other people who had been there and bought things from him. And I, I managed to get a whole bunch of great stuff. But he literally had thousands of Migos Star Trek figures. Oh wow. And, and, and wow. two good friends of mine, uh, Brad and Jeannie Taylor of, of a company called Amazing Third Planet, basically just, you know, mortgaged their future and backed up a truck in the 80s. So that was probably the most significant find uh, that I'd heard of. But uh, it was a smaller find, but it's, it's no less significant was the, um, the 1974 showroom find of Mego that happened recently. And this, this trumps... Um, for me, for Mego collectors, this trumps, you know, the mile-high find mm-hmm. in terms wow. of uh, a, a collector I, or a dealer collector I know by the name of Bruce Salkin was uh, touring around the country buying toys, and a woman showed up in his show in his hotel room with garbage bags full of old toys. Wow! And what she was was a former Mego employee who was young at the time of the 1974 um, uh, uh, toy fair. And she, was, she asked, can I have all these samples? 
And they said, sure, keep them. <laughs> and she kept everything in a climate-controlled closet. And among the things she had were the prototype Planet of the Apes, which I think she still has, actually. Oh, uh, but she did let a, a Zira on a test card go. And, you know, finding stuff like that in, in terms of, of Mego collecting is almost impossible. There's very little prototypes, um, test stuff out there. So that, that, that alone. But she had, you know, the original store display for the Western heroes, the original store display for the Mad Monsters, uh, the, every superhero store display you could imagine, the Bendy, Bend and Flex store display. Like, it was, it was just insane. Hmm. Um, the Mad Monsters she had were the original, um, they weren't prototypes, but they were first runs. That, that thing had such a pedigree. It is just something we still talk about. And I think that was about four or five years ago. I, I was lucky and I was lucky enough to go to Florida the week that that auction was running and see all that stuff just by happenstance. So it was, it was terrific. Do you so think at the time she, she had any idea of, of the value? She did. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in fact, because, uh, Bruce and I were talking about it, and he said, oh, thank you very much, by the way. She was very well informed, but, you know, blaming the Mega Museum, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so we helped promote his auction for him. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So what do you now think? Now I need to ask. Oh, go, John. I need to ask the origin, if you know, of the Super Vader, because I had one of those as a kid, and even didn't understand it. You know, yeah, I unfortunately um I've I've inter- I've tracked down and interviewed a bunch of different people from Migo. The toughest people to find because it just they did a lot of hiring in like 75 and uh, anybody from that first year of superheroes is is hard to find and all they seem to remember is, you know, Batmobile and and the Super Vader just looks like it's and I have one too, and it is a strange toy. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, it's sort of this like pulley system playset where you you wheel the superhero across like he's flying and get secret plans without. It's like a game. I just think it's one of those kind of high concept pieces. They thought they'd market along with the superheroes. They were looking for you know ideas at the time and and. Um, that was just one of the things they did, and and they moved on to more logical concepts like playsets and vehicles within the next year. Hmm. You know, they gave they gave characters who didn't have cars cars, um, and it it worked out wonderfully. <laughs> yeah, the spider cars is fantastic. It's a it's a great <laughs> toy, and even though I knew Spidey didn't have a car, I didn't care as a kid. <laughs> Yeah. Something I notice about the Mego stuff as I go through just looking at your site now is uh, compared to today where in most toy lines um, it's very difficult to get a lot of female characters. You know, retailers are very reluctant, I think, to stock too many you know, female action figures. They, they did a lot of female characters in the different Mego lines. They absolutely did. Um, it's kind of funny when you look at British distribution of the Mego lines – Palatoy clearly did not believe in women and would always exclude them. <laughs> you know, just nope, no girls. No and girls. Um, 
but yeah, the, the Migo threw a lot of girls in there, and I think they were one of the, the, the if not the first, one of the first to do that. Um, I know it gave me a lot of problems as a kid because, you know, I'd stare at Supergirl mm. and want to pick her up, but I didn't <laughs> want to be called a sissy and, you know, <laughs> you know, um, but it, yeah, it's, it, it, they definitely were innovators in that regard. And, and there's, there's, there's women in almost all their lines, which is fantastic. They didn't sell all that great, no. but, uh, you know, I, I applaud them for having them in there. And I think it's one of the reasons I really love Mego and, uh, you know, by the time Princess Leia rolled around, it was kind of old hat to have a girl figure, you know? Hmm. <laughs> I was really surprised by the ISIS figure. I didn't want, I was looking at that on the site and I, the, I remember the TV show, but I don't remember the figure, but I, I probably would have been in that same boat. Oh, I know this TV, yeah. but I'm not going to buy the figure, you know? ISIS is, is a, it's not really a controversy, but some people don't consider her part of the world's greatest superheroes because, <gasps> you know, um, it's, it's, she's got her own box. She's got her own unique card. Hmm. Uh, she's based on a television show. I absolutely do consider her part of the superheroes. But, um, yeah, she's, she's, she's kind of a unique animal and one of the last, uh, last new additions to the line. Hmm. Yeah. Now, when they were producing figures like Batman, they produced Batman pretty much for the whole run, right? From seventy-two. Yeah, they to never, they never stopped. Um, uh, let me think. They, they, they basically produced Superman, Robin, and Batman consistently. Hmm. Spider-Man, Spider-Man was a little later than those guys, but it's the same year, and they never stopped with him. And the Hulk, who was a latecomer, I think he came out in 75, but because of his television series popularity, he never left the line. Hmm. You know, um, I think the line reached its zenith around 75, 76, and then they started dropping characters from the line. Villains didn't sell all that great. Um, you know, by, by the end of it, I think by the last assortment, they had even dropped Captain America. Ooh. Yeah, wow. so... Yeah, I mean, that's if you think about that in today's terms where we get, you know, a wave of figures and then, and then something completely new, that's just, you know, to think that whether you're in 73 or 83, you're buying basically the same figure. That's just, it's a neat, neat idea, but you just wouldn't see it today. Well, I think it's the conundrum with superhero figures is that, you know, every time you get a new entry into the line, like a new child wants a Superman doll, hmm. you need to have a Superman doll available. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the things that made, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the foibles of, you know, collector versus kit. You know, I, I read a lot of online forums and people are like, oh God, not more Batmans, <laughs> but that's who sells. And that's, you know, kids want a new Batman, you know? And, um, so th that was definitely Migo's, um, Migos of, uh, of cachet into this marketplace is that kids could always get a new Batman. They could always get a new Superman, you know, yeah. and then, and then the rest, so to speak. <laughs> well, I guess you know, in the, the, the mid seventies, we didn't have a uh, 40 year old uh, men, you know, collecting little plastic dollies. You know, this was a, a line that was aimed mm -hmm. at kids and was purchased by kids. I think you did have those guys, but they were, pretty much labeled as creeps um <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah exactly it was definitely just for kids i mean there were still collectors out there i can remember um 
when my dad picked up two skids of Planet of the Apes, the Morris from Parkdale Novelty said, well, if they don't sell to the kids, the collectors will buy them. So there was an awareness, at least, back yeah. then. So, yeah. you know, and there were doll collectors. I think one of the reasons you find so much um, Mego Share or Mego Wizard of Oz is there already was an adult female doll collecting um, vibe out there in the mm. 1970s mm. and they were very attracted to the wizard of oz and things like that so that's why they're so common now i think is they were they were bought and put away yeah like people did with spawn in the 90s yeah. I, I have a i had a friend um that lived near my grandmother i always used to visit her when we went to see my grandmother and she had all the wizard of oz Migos, and I think there was a play set as well. Um, yeah, there was a couple actually. Yeah, I, I remember those quite vividly from, you know, just going to her house and and seeing those, but had no idea, of course, at the time that they were Migos and connected to the um, toys that I had and wanted. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they are, they definitely were part of the the Migo universe. I don't personally collect those i have no real attachment to it but uh they are a very beloved line of of, of figures and and you know they connect you can stand the tin man next to iron man and they look like they're related somehow Hmm. now i've noticed you've used the word doll a few times is is that (laughs) i mean just because you know from where we sit in the kind of action figure world we we get pretty tetchy when people use that word but does it not for amigo collector is that not an issue or no it is uh, okay. i'm taking it i'm taking it back oh, okay right <laughs> uh, I, I i'm just i get chastised by people who say why do you call them dolls they're figures you know and it's like i just don't care <laughs> um, and and that is basically because i had a friend in college she used to come over and go can i look at your man dolls <laughs> and I, I just loved that expression and i've i've used it ever since <laughs> wouldn't you just love to be able to point out your greatest american hero prototype or something like that to him and <laughs> yeah well he he knew the you know he knew their value and stuff and i remember i was getting all excited i got an alan carter from space 1999 who was the rarest of the line and you know i, I was really excited i put it on my shelf and he came over and he goes boy he has a really good tan for living on the moon you know, <laughs> always be able to kind of put me in my place no matter what i did and that's what friends are for that's right you know and he you know he was he was a mild toy collector as well but you know it was just kind of like one of those things where he was he thought the amigos were really cool but he was also very amused by them at the same point <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah. They made black hole Migos. <clears throat> they did. Um, the, the the famous story is that Migo passed on Star Wars. Uh, it did that did not put them out of business. Not having something doesn't put you out of business. No. What what put Migo out of business was, was several other factors, and it's kind of a boring spreadsheet of you know of <laughs> of, 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 of events. You know, high lending rates, um, poor decisions in research and development. They they poured a lot of money into video games, and the video games just went bust. But Migo would pick up every other sci-fi license after that. And in fact, before that, it was their their mindset to pick up every sci-fi license to protect the Micronauts brand because Micronauts was a license to print money for a couple of years. Mm. Um, 
so whoever passed on Star Wars, it's rumored it was David Abrams, uh, Marty Abrams, uh, the president's father. I, I don't believe that because of something I heard Marty whisper to someone else one day whose name it really was. Um, and I, I, I believe it was genuinely because he seemed quite upset in saying it. Um, <laughs> It is, uh, is is some executive at Mego because um, Abrams and Kublin, the key, two of the key decision makers, were actually in Japan doing a Micronauts deal when Star Wars got presented. Uh, but they would end up picking up almost everything. Uh, John McNett, one of the uh, VPs at Mego, he passed on Battlestar Galactica after flying to Canada to see it in theaters, mm-hmm. and he said, ah, "This is nothing we need." Uh, but uh, they did pick up Buck Rogers, which was a success because it was a hit with kids. I, I know I loved it as a kid. Oh, yeah. uh, Black Hole, you know, with the Disney pedigree and this blockbuster, it, it seemed like a real sure fit that this would be a big hit. And um, sadly, I think Mego made a couple of real missteps in marketing the line. I don't think it really mattered in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, they did the Star Wars thing and said, well, we got to release every character. You know, we we got to have an action figure of Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> and they probably should have started Wave 1 with all the cool robot characters mm. and and less on the Ernest Borgnines and the uh uh what's what's his Robert Forster figures. You know, I I don't think kids were so apt to buy those characters and I think they clogged <laughs> the shelves. So, I, you know, they probably should have shot it out of the park with the first wave. They did a 12-inch line of black hole characters that doesn't include the robots at all. Mm-hmm. And they're really the stars of the film. And, you know, one of the appeals of Star Wars is how toyetic Darth Vader, a stormtrooper, and C-3PO are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the black hole was one of, their, one of their bigger missteps. I adore that line. I absolutely love that toy line. I wonder the, with all the those... Vincent, the Vincent figure from that. The Vincent figure is is almost as good as a figure today. It, it's really a well sculpted figure. Yeah, you can't you can't do better than that. And I believe those were all sculpted by Bill Lemon, who uh, he, most people will know from the Aurora Monster and Superhero Kids. The guy was a legend. So with all those sci fi licenses they went after, did, did we ever get close to getting a uh, David Hasselhoff Star Crash figure? <laughs> no, I. I... I, I, I think even Migo could smell that was a terrible. <laughs> oh, come on, today I, I would definitely buy a Caroline Munro figure if they had one. So oh, you, you're preaching to the choir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've watched. I, I watched at the Earth's core as a kid and didn't know why I was liking it so much. It couldn't have been for the Doug McClure. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. There's, there's actually a great scene in Star Crash where their their ship is flying. There are no space. great scenes in Star Crash. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there about. is. There, <laughs> you, you see the the bottom of their ship, and you you can see that the person who made the model just used flashing from assorted model kits and just sort of stuck it everywhere, so it looked like piping. And at one stage, you can actually see the dome from an R two D two figure oh. sail past on this ship. It's it's sensational. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I gotta check that out. That, that flashing trick was really common in the seventies. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now we certainly can't talk to a uh, Amigo fanatic without talking about uh, Toy Fair magazine's Twisted Amigo Theater. Does uh, you are you a fan? 
I was. Yeah, I I was a subscriber from day one, and you know I I know some people liked it or didn't like it. I thought it was great. And I thought it really raised the profile of Mego figures. Mm. And, of course, it spun off into Robot Chicken, mm. yeah. which, uh, you know, I, I enjoy. I don't watch it as much as I, I'd like to. But, um, you know, I think it's great that we have, a, you know, Migos on a TV show now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that I, I think they've done a wonder for the, 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 the collectability and, and accessibility. And now, you know... Um, you look on TV and you've got shows like Toy Hunter and Collection Intervention and Comic Book Men. You know, for better or for worse, you're seeing Mego on TV almost every week now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is crazy. Yeah. You know? So did the popularity of something like Twisted Mego Theatre, how did that affect the, the sort of market prices? Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to tell because Twisted Mego Theater came out at the same time that eBay did. <laughs> and, you know, eBay in the late 90s were, you know, most of us are in our late 20s, no kids. Um, and, you know, that disposable income. I, you know, I see it now with some of the late 90s or late 80s, early 90s lines of toy shows where guys are, you know, dropping huge money on stuff that I put on store shelves. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say what raised the profile. Um, yeah. It definitely had an effect, but did it, you know, we also had this new thing where we could order toys in our underpants, you know. <laughs> um, so it's it's ben really hard is well familiar with that. Yep. Yeah, Solidarity, yeah. brother. <laughs> I've made some great purchases. <laughs> <laughs> the internet is a beautiful thing. It sometimes, yeah. But yeah, so it, it's it's hard for me to gauge. I think I, I definitely think it had a great hand in raising the profile of Mego. Um, you know, especially Toy Fair in its early years, they would do a lot of articles on Mego stuff too. Hmm. So you know, some of it was hit or, hit or miss informationally. But uh, it was still good. I, I missed that. I missed that magazine. I, I'm kind of, you know, an old school print guy, and I wish there was still a um, a monthly magazine like that. I'm, I, um, that's why I'm kind of working right now on Amigo Museum magazine. Uh, it'll be a one shot, but uh, you know, just to have a fun print uh, print item out there again. Oh, well, that's fantastic! Yeah, good idea. Hmm. So, and it, it'll have some neat exclusive content. So I'm, I'm I'm excited about that. Hopefully, early next year. Okay, fantastic. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Is there anything else, sure. just in terms of the projects that you're working on, that you'd like to mention while while you're here? Um, sure. I mean, uh, it it isn't really related to Migo, but I am ah, working on a book called Rack Toys. Uh, cool craze playthings and the concept of it is is basically if when you were a kid you walked into a drugstore and you saw these kind of like cheap non-tv advertised toys that were mostly mostly licensed uh that didn't make a lick of sense uh you know <laughs> dr zayas on a motorcycle um mr spock parachuting um just trying to think uh, a love boat barber set things like that <laughs> And what I've done is I've compiled what I think are the the coolest and the goofiest and the weirdest into a new book that I'm I'm trying desperately to wrap up right now actually. 
So it, it features toys from companies like Tomland, Azrak Hamway, Laramie, Fleetwood. There are a couple Mego items in there, and uh, Imperial toys. And you just it's just trying to showcase the love of what is called, you know, peg toys or dime store items. Hmm. And and that's that's been sort of an obsession now. I've been working on this book for about two and a half years. You know, uh, I had to go back to school to learn design because I realized that, you know, I was working with a designer on it, but he didn't know Star Trek from Space 1999. Mm. And I was like, okay, it's obvious that your your heart is in this, but you don't get it. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've been doing a lot of back and forth on that, but I'm 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 very close to wrapping that up, and and I'm very excited about it. And that'll be available through Plaid Stallions. Oh wow! So That's... you're self-publishing? I am. Yeah, Fantastic. I've. I've I've had some very lovely rejection notices and some people <laughs> some people waffling and then there was somebody who didn't want to go full color and it's like you know what I, no. I'm just going to I'm just going to self-publish. I, you know, I I want it to come out. I have a vision for it and in this day and age I know I can sell enough of it that I won't lose my shirt and you know possibly make some money. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it and I don't really need the prestige of of having a publisher, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, yep. and and if it goes well, I want to publish more niche product books about the toy industry. That's fantastic. Amazing. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, Brian, we certainly covered quite a bit of ground. Um, guys, any last questions for Brian? Well, I got to say, I'm a big fan of, of both your sites, and you know, Thank you, you. You always you always bring a, a smile to my face, and. Uh, <laughs> I've spent many an hours on on both of those sites, so uh, you know. It, yeah, thank you very much for putting all that information out there. Absolutely, really happy to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a real pleasure to. Uh, and I think it's a um, testament to the power of social media because you know we don't actually hadn't met quote unquote before this. This all kind of came about through Twitter. So you know, thank you very much for being open to um, talking to us. We really appreciate it. Happy to do it. It was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Great. Well, thanks, Brian. Hopefully uh, we'll uh, have you back sometime in the future. And thank you very much for your time. I'd love it. Thanks, guys. Mego presents the Star Trek action figures featuring the crew of the Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, their fearless leader, Dr. Bones McCoy, caring for the health of the Enterprise crew, Scotty, the chief engineer in charge of the transporter room, Mr. Spock, the Vulcan, second in command, and the Klingon, enemy of the Star Trek crew. Star Trek action figures, complete with accessories shown, each sold separately from Mego. That brings us to the end of episode number 27 of the Action Figure Blues podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. It was certainly a lot of fun having Brian on, and uh, well, we're hoping that's something we can start to do on a bit of a regular basis. You'll be able to download future episodes of the podcast by going to actionfigureblues.com and clicking on the podcast tab or by subscribing at iTunes. And if you do go to iTunes, please take the time to leave us a positive rating and review. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, you might like to check out reviews and articles there and perhaps visit some of our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, Big Bad Toy Store and popculture.com who help keep the site running. When we're not podcasting, blogging, or doing other assorted hobby-related activities, you can find us all on the Action Figure Blues forum at afbforum.com. You'll find John posting as Engineer Nerd, Scott posting as Scotty, and myself, Ben, posting as Fish Milkshake. 
We'd love to hear from you with any comments or suggestions for future Toys of the Week or discussion topics, and you can do it by emailing podcast at actionfigureblues.com or by joining the AFB forum and telling us there. You can also follow Action Figure Blues on Twitter, at AFBlues, and like the Action Figure Blues page on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. All right, guys, bit of a long one tonight. Thank you very much for your company. It was a great pleasure. And, Had a blast. <laughs> ah, the internet. It, it does such wonderful things and then lets us down on other times. <laughs> We've been pretty lucky, really. Yes. All right. Fantastic episode tonight, guys. Thanks very much for your company, and uh, let's do this again soon. Good night, Argentina. <laughs> Bye, Argentina. Bye, everybody. Groovy. Okay. Badass. Badass. <laughs> oh. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 27, brought to you by actionfigureblues.com. I'm Ben, and I have... Oh, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, you got me good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I, forgot that, oh, I forgot that was there because it was there from before. I know. I forgot about it, and because it's because it's friggin' midnight, I I just started reading and wasn't paying attention. All right. I got you. Uh, oh yes, I got you. <laughs>